I'm Virginia O'Hare, and I go by V, and I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm also the director of Jefferson Center City Clinic for Behavioral Medicine, which is an outpatient talk therapy clinic for patients with any kind of chronic health condition or even acute health condition and comorbid psych concern. Mm -hmm. And we really specialize in dialectical behavior therapy, which is a treatment for, for people who feel emotions intensely. Mm. And since COVID, kind of my favorite part of what I do has been to use these skills that have been developed for patients who feel things intensely and patients who have a lot of crises in their lives and try to apply some of these to all of us as hospital system and as a group of humans during COVID to kind of help get through the COVID pandemic in a way that we're not returning to some old normal, but like forging ahead with like, how do we want to be living right now? Hello, and welcome back to the Health Nexus podcast powered by Jefferson Health. Since the COVID-19 pandemic started, we've covered updates on treatments and vaccinations, shared personal stories of those impacted by the pandemic, and how to cope with the associated grief. It's hard to believe it's been nearly three years since the pandemic was declared an emergency in some ways. I can say it has felt like a long road of adapting to new social norms, and now it feels like another period of adjusting, like V introed earlier. I don't think life is ever going to feel the same way it did pre-pandemic. Oh yeah, and I don't think you're feeling alone that way, Jess. I mean, in this episode, we talked to V about how COVID led some to feel a loss of sense of self or purpose and tips on overcoming anxieties you may be experiencing when re-engaging socially and being out in the world again. You might want to have a journal handy for this episode. Let's get into it. So V, would you mind just talking a little bit about the losses we experienced during COVID and how we've adapted? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, first and foremost, I think about individual losses in our families. There are very few people I know who haven't actually had a death of a loved one or someone in their system due to COVID. And then I think for all of us, the loss of like social norms and the kind of feel good that comes from getting together, you know, I think like humans are such social animals and yet socializing turned bad during early COVID. And I think that that's a loss that we're still dealing with. Mm -hmm. And if we could focus specifically on the social isolation part of this, at first it seemed like social isolation was going to be impossible. Like how could we possibly go through a quarantine? And then we did. And now it seems like as things are opening back up, it seems there's some stress with getting back together. And maybe there's more social anxiety peaking with whether it's returning back to the office or just it now being normal to hang out with a bigger group of friends again. I mean, I noticed that myself with large gatherings, you know, weddings. We've had a slew of memorials for people in our lives who we weren't able to kind of give them a good send off during COVID. And, you know, I noticed a strong preference, like, can we, can we gather outside? You know, can we meet outside? And this idea of like being together indoors, still being scary. But yeah, I think making such a huge adjustment to COVID, right? Such a like literal 180 from our usual way of being to, you know, you can't get close to people. You have to wear a mask when you're around people. You shouldn't leave your home, like that kind of initial lockdown. And then recovering from that, taking you know a lot longer than we might have expected. And I think it part, particularly given how long it's lasted for, 
I noticed myself initially thinking like, oh, okay, just a few more weeks and then we'll get back to normal. But then sort of adjusting to this kind of crisis mode, and then it's hard to get out of that crisis mode and get back to normal. Porges polyvagal theory explains this to an extent in the sense that there's five kind of states of being and that we're in at any time. So there can be reward, which is like, oh, good, someone brought cake to the office. I want a piece of that and let me approach it. And then there can be novelty, like, oh, that was a strange noise. What was that? And then there can be threat, which is like, oh, maybe I'm in danger. I need to kind of be on guard. And then there's overwhelm, which could be the danger signal is so high that there's nothing I can do. I need to just tune out. And then there's social safety, which is the state of mind that we're in when we want to hang out with others, when our voice becomes more musical and our gestures become more relaxed and we're okay being closer to people, that sort of thing. And it's fairly fascinating, the research into this, the muscles in your neck become more flexible so you can turn your head to face the other person, like your ears become more attuned to the frequency that human voice is in, your voice becomes more melodic. There's all kinds of changes that happen when you're in social safety. But then part of the deal is that we've, especially from early COVID, we've associated other humans with threat. Mm. Like we're probably all carrying some of this like fear of others. And um, we are just wondering, how can you create that state of safety going into any kind of social setting? I really want to draw on one of my mentors from grad school over 20 years ago is Tom Lynch, who has developed a whole treatment, which is radically open dialectical behavior therapy or RODBT. And it's all about that idea of like, how can we prevent emotional loneliness? How can we recover from emotional loneliness and reconnect with others? And the kind of fundamental part of this treatment is like, we've forgotten our kind of collective nature as humans. We've forgotten what he refers to as like our tribal nature, our group nature. So the idea being what has allowed humans to survive Arctic conditions, et cetera, especially back in the day, 100,000 years ago, without like thick skin or claws or fangs. And the thing that's helped us to survive, according to Tom Lynch, is friendship, our ultimate survival weapon is friendship. And this idea of banding together groups of non-genetic relatives has allowed humans to, for better or worse, take over the planet. And any behavior that could result in getting ostracized from the group is to be avoided. Avoided like the plague, right? (laughs) Which is kind of ironic expression, but thinking about things like social transgressions that could get you kicked out of the tribe would have led to certain death 100,000 years ago because we needed other humans. We needed our group to stay alive. So think about in early COVID, you could be shunned for getting too close to others, for not wearing a mask, not distancing, for leaving your house for a non-essential task. And so we can over fixate, over correct on these things that would be social transgressions. The last thing we want as humans is to get kicked out of the group. So then to unlearn that and to kind of back into social safety can be pretty hard. I would suggest a two-prong approach. One is to think about overall, do the thing and your attitude will follow. So lead with behavior. Don't wait until you're motivated to hang out with others before taking the next step. Take the step and then the motivation will follow. 
that might mean text some friends and say, hey, let's go out for dinner. Even if you're kind of feeling like, I don't want to do it, do the thing. And then your attitude, your motivation will follow. And then how to get into social safety. There's a ton that we can do. So there are ways, there are meditation practices you can do beforehand, before engaging in a social interaction. That's called a loving kindness meditation or LKM, which fosters good feelings towards others and the sense of calm safety within yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're going into that interaction instead of going into it in threat, like, oh God, am I going to get too close to them? Am I going to get COVID? We're indoors for the first time. You've got some of this laid down groundwork of loving kindness, meditation, social safety activation. And then there's stuff you can do with your body. When you're in threat, your body wants to be all constricted in on itself, like defending itself. So imagine like arms crossed, legs crossed, flat face, no expression on your face. You can get yourself out of threat and into social safety by making big gestures, get your arms away from your body, get your eyebrows up, sit back in your chair a bit. There's stuff you can do with your body and face to get more chill to almost trick your brain into thinking that you're more chill, to switch the channel from threat to social safety. So interesting, and it shows just how much energy it takes to be social. It validates people needing to recharge their battery after they socialize. Do you think that there's a connection to there being a loss of your sense of self when you haven't been able to have that social interaction anymore? And are there ways that we could reconnect back to that? I love that question of loss of sense of self. Maybe you've just been sort of coasting on autopilot and then having this huge existential threat can really turn on this light bulb of what do I want to be about? I think of that as your big why, right? Which is why is it worth the risk that you take to show up during COVID, right? Why is it worth going to this social gathering with people where It's true. There probably is a risk of getting COVID. Why is it worth it? Why is it worth risking the discomfort of getting back and using your rusty socialization muscles? Knowing what's that big why can really help to motivate you instead of it just being like, this is something I should do. You know, I feel like I can often tell myself, oh, you know, I should get up with those other moms because I haven't seen them in months. But if I can connect it to something that I want to be about, then it's more motivated, it can be more enjoyable, not feel like yet another task. And your big why could be kind of, you know, lofty. Like I think about my big why for work is I really want to help empower people who are really feeling burned out by COVID to find their purpose and double down on that and live great lives and help their patients. I also have other big whys like getting paid and supporting my family So your big why could be concrete or could be more lofty. I think figuring that out, what do you want to be about? What are your values? What do you want to stand for? That can help to push forward towards the thing, even though it's uncomfortable. And what are the ways we can explore what our personal values are? I mean, I'm willing to go dark. I'll think like, what do you want etched on your tombstone? (laughs) Right. Um, One of my own personal values is being a fun mom. I would love it if that was etched on my tombstone. She was a fun mom. (laughs) Yes. And you can't be living your values all the time. But if I have that value in mind, being a fun mom, then that can help me engage in kind of steps in that direction, which could be we're going to the Aaron's thinking putty lab to make our own thinking putty. That's fun, right? That's cool. Whereas if I'm just kind of thinking like, oh, I've got to find something to do with these kids, then my motivation for going to the Aaron's thinking putty lab will be much lower. 
And if you're not willing to go dark, like what do you want on your tombstone? You could also think about what do you want people to say about you at your 90th birthday party? And what would they say about you today if you kept living the way you were living versus what would you want them to say about you? And then how can you take a step in that direction? And how would you keep that in the forefront of your daily life? So I love having little reminders of my big why, which could be a piece of jewelry or it could be something hanging in my office that I look at. Some of my big whys are more salient, like the fun mom. I've got that front and center no matter what. And the helping to reduce burnout among healthcare providers, I feel like that's fairly front and center. But then there are other values, like I love connecting with nature. And that's one that I often forget. And I feel like me not connecting with nature, I tend to be more angry and short, you know, less patience and you know, more of a rigid thinker. Whereas if I can get a hike in a couple of times a week, or even just look outside at the trees, then I'm a more flexible thinker, more chill, more resilient. So I might have examples of that in artwork that I choose to surround myself with, particularly at work, because my eyes will drift to something and be like, oh yeah, I love nature. All right, make sure to get a hike in at some point. I like that idea, surrounding yourself with the art. And I think too about balancing wants and shoulds. Adulting comes with a lot of shoulds, right? All of the shoulds of paying bills and saving money and yada, yada. And then there's all of the COVID shoulds, like masking and vaxxing and testing and quarantining and all of that of it all. And so it can be exhausting. If you think about self-control as a limited resource, like imagine four pots boiling on the stovetop. And if you're trying to keep a tight lid on all four pots, at some point they're going to boil over. So I think about the self-control that I exert for healthy eating and move my body and try to stay strong. And then self-control for show up at work and bring my best self for my patients and my students, et cetera. And then the self-control of don't yell at my kids and, you know, pick up the trash that's on the floor and that sort of thing. And then there's also don't spend too much money. Even if there's a good sale, you're trying to save. We've got to save for college and all that kind of stuff. So lots of shoulds. And so that your pot doesn't boil over, how can you balance with some wants? What do you want to do just for the heck of it? What could be something fun? And a lot of our wants, like the things that I used to do for fun are a lot of them are now kind of gone because of COVID. I used to love hot yoga. We would show up, especially sick. Hey, I've got kind of a fever. Oh, good. You can like sweat it out in this tiny room filled with other humans. And, you know, we'd be packed in. I'd have someone else's knee pit in my face and it was just the best. So I don't know if I can ever go back to that post-COVID. I also love going to see a movie by myself, slowly eating popcorn throughout. I don't know if that's coming back. There's a lot of travel that I love that also now I'm wondering, is that worth the risk of cancellations and all of that kind of stuff? So there may be some sort of rediscovering of what are your wants? And we might have also been on survival mode so long that we don't really know what we want. Seems like what we've perceived as our comfort zone may not be as small as we're thinking it is. It might just be different. It's a re-examining of what feels comfortable again, because maybe you can't have the popcorn during the movie, but you can still go to the movie and just have your mask on. Yeah. And I think that that's highlighting what, I mean, I know this is definitely one of my personal weaknesses is I'm like, well, if I can't do it the way that I used to do it, then I'm just not going to do it at all. Right. <laughs> Which isn't adaptive, doesn't make sense. But I think that that can often be how we think about, I mean, definitely how I think about things like kind of black and white. It's got to be exactly like it was, or it can't be. 
you know, this idea of getting out of your comfort zone. And we put ourselves into smaller and smaller boxes, right? We put ourselves in these smaller and smaller boxes. And it's hard once you're in a smaller box to get out of it. So with COVID, I put myself into the box of, I don't do things indoors with other humans that aren't part of my family. I wear a mask a lot of the time and all of the other kind of boxes I've put myself into for COVID. If I have a sniffle, I'm canceling my social plans. If my kids have a sniffle, they're not going to school. So think about all of those kind of rigidities. And then with things loosening up a bit, the new bivalent booster and all of that, the fact that there hasn't been a big new variant since the summer variant. So logically, I had the summer variant, I had the bivalent booster, I could be getting out of my box. And yet it can be really hard to make that happen. So we have this skill that I love called pattern smashing, which is this idea of getting psychological flexibility to pull ourselves out of the boxes that we put ourselves in. And it could be small. It could be something if you wear jewelry, wearing your rings or watch or Fitbit or whatever on the opposite appendage, right? <laughs> put your Fitbit on the other wrist. Are you someone who always wears two socks? If so, just wear one. Like little things that only you will notice and they could drive you crazy. My husband would say short drive, but thinking about how that could be a reminder of psychological flexibility, right? We don't have to be in such a small box. You know, we, especially in this country, I mean, at least for now, it seems like we have huge freedoms. Although, you know, real talk, we've also lost a lot of freedoms, but we have freedom to choose what music we listen to, choose what way we walk choose how we dress, choose how we present ourselves to the world. And yet a lot of us tend to get into a groove of same thing, same thing, routine, routine. So yeah. pattern smashing is a great skill for busting out of your routine a little bit. But your point about the state of the world, there are a lot of positives. COVID technically hasn't gone away, but the threat of it maybe for some people feels a little bit lighter, but there's still political climate happening. There are wars happening in the world. Icebergs are melting. There are still plenty of things that are heavy. And I'm wondering what are some of the best ways we can be taking care of our mental health in addition to all the things we've talked about already? The like emotional exhaustion of it all is real. I feel this sort of moral imperative to care about everything, which is just impossible. Checking the news first thing in the morning and caring about everything that there is to care about is just going to lead to my burnout. Whereas taking an action step, no matter how small, can at least feel like you're doing something, right? So thinking about, all right, if we have to pick our battles, if we have to pick our causes, we can't have everything as our cause, or it really will just be emotional exhaustion overload. But could you pick a cause that's super important to you and take a step towards it? Whether that's donating a small amount of money or protesting or even posting on your social media to highlight a side that maybe others aren't thinking about. So just doing a thing can really help to balance against the sort of emotional exhaustion of it all. Mm -hmm. And really making sure that your tank stays full, right? There's so much going on, especially in the news that could deplete us all. And how can we stay motivated to fight? Yeah, what I appreciate about this conversation is that it normalizes that this is hard and that if you're struggling with it, you don't have to carry any shame or guilt that it's something that you're doing wrong, that you could be trying harder, there's something that was broken that needs to be fixed. 
there's just a lot of space and grace to give yourself to take things slowly and just to stay mindful. I mean, having conversations like this nowadays, it's a lot more okay to say you're not okay and have people meet you there in that place. And there's a Zen concept of second arrows, this idea of like, the first arrow is pain and we can't avoid pain in life. Pain's going to happen. So there might be the pain of I am working from home and now I'm going back into the office a few days a week. And that means that childcare is kind of up in the air and transportation's up in the air and there's hassle. So that's, that's the pain, first arrow. And then the second arrow is a shame. I should shut up about this because there are other people who have it worse. And then there's probably a third arrow that might be guilt. Oh my gosh, what about my kids? They're going to have to be home alone for a little while. And then there might be a fourth arrow that's anger. Why am I having to go in at all? I've been doing my job successfully for the last two and a half years from home. And then there might be another arrow that's anxiety. Oh no, what if people think that I'm disgruntled and then I get fired? So all of these extra arrows to avoid feeling that first arrow of pain of, yeah, it's hard to make a change and humans hate change. And you know, yeah, like the struggle is real. Going back into the office is hard, even if there are people who've been back in the office full time right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're huge fans of therapy. Just a plug for <laughs> therapy. If you're struggling with something and your friends aren't cutting it. Oh, yeah. I also think that therapy, at least in my own life, can really enhance my friend relationships, Mm -hmm. right? And I can remember many times meeting up with a girlfriend and being like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you because I have to download all of this emotional crap I've been carrying into your brain right now so you can help me. And sure, I still have those moments, but then I also have my professional that I routinely download all of that into her brain. And so when when I see my friends, I'm able to be a bit more free to shoot the breeze or chat with them or meet them where they're at. And I also think I wanted to give a plug to for journaling, right? That that's something that can really help as well. Growing gratitude can help like writing down three things that went well each day. There's a lot of research to suggest that cultivating a gratitude practice has a ton of great benefits, like reduces depression, helps with sleep, leads to more meaningful relationships. There's even some data that it could improve immunity. And that rather than sort of overall gratitude, noticing like three things that went well today or three things that you're grateful for. Something more specific tends to kind of maximize benefits. You have to be careful of the second arrow because for me, often when I start to think about the things I'm grateful for, that leads to the second arrow of, see, what do you have to complain about? The rest of the world has it so much worse, Mm -hmm. right? So see if you stick just with gratitude and not move to the secondary emotion. And that can be a really great daily journal prompt, three things that went well. And that can help to kind of pull us again out of this sort of survival mode threat, focusing on what went wrong. Well, that's a lot to take in from our conversation with Dr. Virginia O'Hare. And if you're looking for more mental health content, we have plenty on the healthnexus.org. From what to expect from your first session with a therapist to red flags that therapists might not be the right person to meet your goals. And of course, we also recently released a podcast all about anxiety and anti-anxiety medication that you can check out. We'll link to those pieces in our show notes. If you enjoy our podcast, we truly appreciate our rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We do love your feedback. Production support for today's episode provided by Brittany Raffalak and Barbara Henderson. We're your hosts, Carly Williams and Jess Lopez. Thank you for listening.